Today on the podcast, take me out to the litigation. We're talking about the most famous antitrust exemption of them all and why a lot of people are now saying Major League Baseball should not be the only game in town. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the weekly legal news podcast from Bloomberg Law and Bloomberg Government. I'm your host, David Schultz. Major League Baseball famously enjoys an exemption from antitrust laws, and that allows it to control basically all aspects of the sport at the professional level in the United States. When it was first granted that exemption back in the 1920s, the home run record was owned by a guy named George Herman Ruth, also known as The Babe. Fast forward to 2022, and Yankees outfielder Aaron Judge did this. And yes, I know that's not actually the single season record. Barry Bonds did his thing in 2001, blah, blah, blah. The point of this is a whole lot has changed, but that antitrust exemption for MLB is still around. However, there's a growing number of people who say it's outlived whatever utility it once had. And some of those people sit on the U.S. Supreme Court. Even beyond that, the Department of Justice filed an amicus brief last week that indicated the executive branch isn't a fan of the antitrust exemption either. Bloomberg Law's Mike Leonard wrote a story about that brief, and we have him in the studio to talk about what's going on. Uh, Mike, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. So let's get into this case and start with that amicus brief. What is the case here? Who is suing Major League Baseball and why? So the lawsuit is an antitrust case brought by uh, four minor league teams, four former minor league teams, I should say, single-A affiliates of the Yankees, the Tigers, the Giants, and the Astros. And they're challenging a a major restructuring MLB did in 2021 to its century-old minor league farm system. So it used to be the case that any given MLB team had sort of an ad hoc number of of minor league affiliates, and bigger market teams would have more. Um, They would have um, more resources. MLB did away with that, and now every major league team has three minor league affiliates, single-A, double-A, and triple-A affiliates. These teams are basically arguing this got rid of a Wild West free market uh, and replaced it with a very tightly contro- tight control that benefits the owners. And these are the teams that got the axe, that, that, that they were around, and now they're cut loose, and they're saying that this is an example of collusion, essentially. That's right. They're, these are all defunct teams now. Um, they, they, were, they depended on their affiliation to, uh, to keep going. But, of course, the reason why Major League Baseball can do this is because it is famously exempt from antitrust laws. Can you talk about where that came from? Why did baseball get that exemption, and what was the the rationale behind it back then? Sure. So the antitrust exemption for baseball is uh, pretty hard, if not impossible, to justify under our current understanding of antitrust laws. The major leagues have existed in their current form since 1903. Uh, The exemption uh, comes from a 1922 Supreme Court ruling in which the court held that the business of professional baseball was putting on baseball games, and those baseball games um, all happen in one place, or each happen in one place. Um, Therefore, they don't involve interstate commerce. And it's it's a little discussed aspect of the antitrust laws that for um, for these kind of cartel or restraint of ca- trade cases, there has to be a hook to interstate commerce. It doesn't get discussed much because our 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 understanding of interstate commerce has expanded so much that most things um, satisfy that prong as a matter of course. Right. 
And baseball says this is still necessary, that they still need this. Um, what's their reasoning for that? Baseball has basically said, and the courts have basically held that, you know, baseball is as American as apple pie, and so is this exemption. It's been around for more than a century. Um, everybody's relying on it. Built our, we've built out this major global business based on this. You can't pull out the rug from under us now. Um, it's sort of an argument related to um, just the general idea that people have relied on this. And uh, the court has said in a couple times, well, we don't think we'd decide the case the same way today, but we think it would do more harm than good to overrule it at this point. Interesting. Of course, uh, there are other professional sports leagues. Uh, there's the NBA, the NFL, the NHL, MLS. Um, they don't have this exemption. They seem to be doing okay. Um, why, you know, have they ever asked for, for a similar treatment? NFL asked. Uh, the Supreme Court said no. Um, check my math, but uh, 1957, so uh, 65 years ago. And that's one of the cases in which the Supreme Court um they said that the baseball exemption was, uh, I think this is a direct quote, at, at best of dubious validity. And so, yet here we are 65 years later and it, it survives. Um, the NCAA sort of asked. There was this big ruling that I'm sure um, your listeners have heard of uh, in 2021 that sort of opened the floodgates on various forms of compensation for college players. It didn't, it stopped short of endorsing um, a free labor market, but it did uh, open up these NIL sponsorships we're seeing. So the NCAA um, asked for one, and the Supreme Court uh, unanimously said no. Now, even though this isn't a case with a lot of uh, political valence, there's a saying in the law that big cases make bad law. But this was a unanimous ruling, um, which you don't often see in these high-profile cases. Uh, and the court not only refused to extend it, but had some fairly dismissive things to say about it. Uh, Justice Gorsuch, writing in his um, majority opinion, said something like, we, ha we, we once dallied with something that some may say resembles uh, an antitrust exemption for professional baseball. Um, which is not exactly a ring endorsement. That's a that's a paraphrase, but Ooh, that's yeah that that that's the uh, Supreme Court equivalent of storm clouds on the horizon for uh, Major League Baseball. Um, well, it's not as I mentioned at the top. It's not just the court that is thinking skeptically about this. The Justice Department itself also, uh, you know, doesn't seem to be too into this. Um, tell me about the the actual brief that it filed in um, this minor league baseball case that that you wrote about last week. What did it say, and why was it notable? So the DOJ, which which also filed a, a sort of similar brief um, when the case was at the trial court, now is uh, filing a brief, an amicus brief, at the uh, with the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, um, which is where the case is being heard now. And they basically are going over some of this history we've been talking about. And their argument is, you know, we won't be so brash as to ask this court to overturn the antitrust exemption, but... Uh, read it as narrowly as possible. Um, don't expand it at all. Um, it has very little basis in law in in our existing understanding of antitrust law. And they go through some of the history and they talk about some of the confusion that exists because of this sort of anomalous status of this law. Some courts have basically said um, that the antitrust exemption, for technical reasons, died with, with the advent of the free agency system 40 years ago, and it just hasn't come up enough to, uh, it doesn't know it's dead yet. It's over the cliff and it hasn't looked down. <laughs> um, other courts, an appeals court, in federal appeals court in Chicago, in a case involving um, the Chicago Cubs trying to regulate prices of the famous rooftop bars that overlook Wrigley Field, of course, of um, course. the court has said that uh, that those 
business moves by the Cubs were exempt under the baseball exemption, which is a, a much broader view of it. And so the Justice Department is sort of going through all this history and saying, um, basically, to the, to the court, first do no harm. Don't make this worse. So that that makes me think that there's really no one in any branch of government, save you know for maybe a few congressmen who uh, you know have the Major League Baseball's back, there's really no one in any branch of government that likes this anymore. Um, it, it, is this something where the antitrust exemptions days are numbered? It's just a matter of whether the right case gets to the Supreme Court or the right uh, you know issue comes before DOJ. Is it? Are, they, are we just waiting on the the sort of the right plaintiff? Maybe, but not necessarily. I I, I would note that a lot of things that nobody seems to like seem to. Uh, last in, with our system of government, but um, the court has ha, the Supreme Court that is has repeatedly shown reluctance to go all the way and overturn the exemption. Um, they said for most of the last century that we sort of regret this, but here we are. Um, they have suggested that maybe Congress should fix it because Congress can step in and legislate in this area. On the other hand, uh, all nine justices signed on to this opinion, saying the baseball exemption is. Uh, lousy, and uh, these I think these minor league minor league clubs are hoping they're going to be their case is going to be the one that that puts this issue right back squarely uh, before the Supreme Court. They're hoping that they're the right plaintiff. That's right. Um, you know, and the other reason why I, th- I am interested in this is because it does kind of seem like the court is eager, willing, if not eager, to hear sports law cases because, as you mentioned, they recently heard the name and likeness case. They also issued a big ruling in a sports gambling case. I guess I just wonder if the Supreme Court thinks that, you know, the state of American professional and amateur sports is something that, you know, is broken and they they and only they can fix. Is that something that, you know, is that a, a stance of the court that you think is, is out there? It's possible. I know there are sports fans on the court. There sure are. That's, <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that because famously Justice Soto, Sonia Sotomayor is a huge Yankees fan. Um, Justice Alito, Roots for the Phillies. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head what some of the other allegiances are on the court, but you're right. There, there are sports fans on that court. Yeah, and and as I said, the court, well, the court is always, uh, well, traditionally always careful about overturning precedent and has had a lot of opportunities to overturn this case and has declined. Um, so that would, that would make you think that they probably wouldn't do it. That's right. But on the other hand, the uh, the trial court judge in this case, uh, who found that everything alleged by the minor league clubs made out a plausible antitrust violation, except for the baseball exemption, he, he went through the whole analysis. Um, and um, first of all, the fact that he went through the whole analysis and then had a very short section of the opinion saying, but this case must be dismissed because of the baseball exemption, kind of shows you he's thinking maybe somebody... Um, one, a higher court is going to consider revisiting the exemption because it lays it lays the groundwork that he's done the other reasoning. Um, but he also um, he had an amusing way of describing what the minor league clubs are hoping for. He said that he characterized their position as um, saying the Supreme Court is poised to knock out the exemption like a boxer winding up for a punch. It's a little bit of a mix. I'm sure he could have come up with some kind of baseball metaphor there instead of boxing metaphor. But I may, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Maybe he was a little pressed for time when he was writing the opinion. Could be. It happens to the best of us. Yeah. Um, so um, they're hoping. It's possible. That's really interesting. Well, uh, that was Mike Leonard talking uh, with us about baseball and things that are bubbling up in the lower courts. Uh, it may one day make its way 
to the high court. Uh, thank you, Mike. That was really interesting. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right, and that'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz. Our editor is Andrew Satter, and our executive producer is Josh Block. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Taxes and accounting are complicated, but finding a good tax podcast shouldn't be. Listen to Talking Tax, the podcast that breaks down all of these issues on a weekly basis. Every Thursday, Talking Tax will explain the latest issues for you, from corporate filings to diversity within the profession, and even the latest on the burgeoning cannabis industry. Download and subscribe to Bloomberg Taxes Talking Tax, wherever you get your podcasts.